Chapter Seventeen of Life of Saint Gerard Magella. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aubrey Kinzer. Life of Saint Gerard Magella by Reverend O. R. Vassal Phillips. Chapter Seventeen. His last journey. New buildings were at this time in course of erection at Capocelli, and immediately after his second return from Naples, St. Gerard was appointed clerk of the works. At first sight, it might have been thought that the extremely delicate state of his health and his marked attraction for the contemplative life would have rendered him unsuited for this occupation. His superiors, however, knew well that, as the Apostle reminds us, genuine piety is useful for all things, while Gerard, on his side, in the true spirit of his vocation, had long since learned to unite the activity of Martha with the repose of Mary, and never hesitated to leave his master's feet to do his master's work. He was, as usual, indefatigable in his new office. Ever at the post of duty, he did not know what it was to spare himself. He saw to everything, provided for everything, was to be found everywhere. While Gerard was superintending the progress of the building, nothing could fail, for God was with him. One day, the rector told him that he had come to the end of his resources, he had no more money with which to pay the workmen. Write a letter, Reverend Father, to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, was the Holy Brother's suggestion. The letter was written, and Gerard himself was commissioned to lay it before the throne of grace and mercy. Accordingly, he hastened into the church, the petition in his hand, placed it upon the altar, and then, with a familiarity in which love for once triumphed over reverence, ventured to knock softly at the door of the tabernacle and say, Behold, O Lord, our prayer. Now it is for thee to answer. On Saturday, the wages had to be paid. The whole of the preceding Friday night, St. Gerard spent in the church, imploring our Lord to come to his aid and to that of the community. His confidence did not fail of its reward. At break of day, he knocked a second time at the tabernacle door, entreating the divine prisoner of love not to forget his children's needs. He had not yet come down the steps of the sanctuary before he heard a ring at the convent door. Hastening to the hall, he found there two bags full of money, which he took with much thankfulness to the rector. Once more, all that the superior could find to say was that Gerard was the spoiled child of divine providence. However, it was clearly not right to tempt Almighty God by neglecting the step required by common prudence. Unless the buildings were to be left in an altogether unfinished condition, it was necessary that money should be raised without further delay. Therefore, 
after the archbishop had granted the necessary permission, it was determined to send two of the lay brothers on a questing expedition through the diocese. The father rector straightway thought of St. Gerard as the most suitable person that he could hope to find for this delicate office. But the saint's health was so shattered, and the heat of the Italian dog days threatened to be so excessive that his superior hesitated. However, he sent for the holy brother and asked him how he would be able to bear the fatigue of the proposed journey. There was no delay about the answer. He was ready, he said, for anything. Still the father director was not satisfied. Laying his hand on Gerard's head, without speaking a word, in his own mind he formed the sentence, In the name of the Most Holy Trinity, I wish that you should be well, and that you should go and make this quest. Gerard looked at the rector and smiled. On being asked at what he was laughing, he replied, Your reverence speaks, and yet you do not speak. You wish me to be well, and to make this quest. I will be well, and I will make this quest. Yes, O Lord, I wish to be well. I wish to obey. Thus he started, obedience on his lips, obedience in his heart. From the very commencement, miracles cast a halo round his path. The first village in which he made an appearance was called Synergia. Here they were just on the point of completing the construction of a new parish church. The villagers were in great trouble about some large chestnut trees that were required as timber for the roof. They had been duly felled, but no effort could drag them down from the neighboring mountain, where they were lying uselessly on the ground. "'Take courage,' cried Gerard, when he heard of this difficulty. "'The church belongs to God, and God will see that it is finished. "'Let us go to the mountain.' "'On his arrival, the saint knelt down to beg the blessing of heaven. "'Then, attaching his handkerchief to one of the largest of the trees, "'which was so heavy that neither oxen nor buffaloes had been able to move it, "'he cried out, "'In the name of the most holy trinity, O creature of God,' I order thee to follow me. Then, to the amazement of all the spectators, he dragged it, alone and without effort, down to the valley. The rest of the trees were likewise, without further obstacles, successfully brought to the church. Other marvels followed fast. A poor mother was dying in pains of childbirth. St. Gerard's help was implored in her behalf. He prayed for her and saved her life. This is the first time that he is recorded to have assisted a woman in such a necessity. But since his holy death, again and again has his intercession been asked that some mother might be preserved from imminent danger and her child be safely brought to the cleansing waters of baptism. Numerous votive offerings around his shrine attest that his aid has not been sought in vain. Some saints can help us in one trouble, others in another, writes St. Teresa in a well-known passage. 
This seems to be St. Gerard's special prerogative in heaven, to help women about to become mothers, who are recommended to his kindly care, and to bring them safely through their dreaded travail. A few days after his arrival in Synarchia, when praying at the old church of the place, he was suddenly raised from the ground, as though by an invisible force, and remained for some time suspended in mid-air without support. The story was carried into the village by those in the church, and a number of people hastened to see him in this miraculous state. Henceforward, the whole parish venerated him as a saint. This veneration greatly increased after his death. Evidence was given in the cause of his canonization that all the inhabitants of Synarchia had chosen St. Gerard as their special patron, and that it was the custom of everyone in the place to add a pater, ave, and gloria to their ordinary morning prayers, in order to thank the Most Holy Trinity for all the wonderful gifts and graces bestowed on this great servant of God. From Synarchia, Gerard wrote to the archpriest of Oliveto, Don Angelo Salvatore by name, to give him due notice of his intended visit. Your reverence has long wished to make the acquaintance of the sinner who is writing to you, and now your wishes will be gratified. Thus did he finish his letter. These words greatly astonished the priest. He had indeed long desired to know one about whom he had heard so much, but this he had never told to any living being. The saint's stay at Oliveto was rendered noteworthy by many marvels. Of these we can only mention one. On the very day of his arrival, as it was dinner time, and Gerard had not yet come down, his host went to look for him. To his amazement, he found his guest in his room, wrapped in ecstasy and raised from the ground. He went away, and returning after some time, found the Holy Brother still in the same supernatural condition. At last, Gerard appeared at dinner. He did not know that he had been seen in ecstasy, and remarked politely that he trusted his visit might give no trouble to anyone, but that everything would go on just as usual, exactly as if he were not staying in the house at all. Don Salvatore afterwards marked on the wall of the room the exact height to which he had seen the servant of God raised in the air. From Oliveto, Gerard resumed his journey. At a place called Vietri, a woman of abandoned life came up to him and asked him, as a sort of joke, to give her a picture of the Blessed Virgin. Here is one, was the reply. But do you look to the affairs of your soul, and recommend yourself seriously to Our Lady, for you have but a few days to live? His words came true. This woman, young and well when he spoke, was attacked with sudden illness on her return home. Mindful of the warning of a saint, she at once sent for a priest, made her peace with God, and died in excellent dispositions three days afterwards. In the little town of Oletta, there was a young girl who, from her infancy, 
had been unable to walk a single step, she had been obliged to lie on her back all her life, a helpless invalid. When St. Gerard saw her, his heart was filled with pity. It is nothing, he cried. The child can walk perfectly. Then he called her to him. Come to me, my child. That moment she leaped up. She was able to walk as well as anyone in the room. The bystanders cried out in wonderment, A miracle! A miracle! Covered with holy confusion, the servant of God ran away to hide himself. He sought refuge in the house of a priest, who has left posterity an account of the whole incident. The people, however, pursued him, exclaiming, The saint! Where is the saint? Whereupon Gerard made his escape in all haste by a back door, and left the place without further delay. This cure was radical in its effects. Several years afterwards, there was pointed out to a redemptorist lay brother, passing through Oletta, the girl who had been given the use of her limbs by the famous brother Gerard. In his humility a fugitive from the applause of men, our saint next turned his steps to the village of San Gregorio. Here he received hospitality from the parish priest, to whom he was personally unknown. But it was impossible for St. Gerard's light to remain for any length of time hidden under a bushel. The day after his arrival, a visitor called at the house. Suddenly, as they were engaged in conversation, Gerard turned abruptly to the priest with the strange question. Reverend Father, he asked, can you tell me this? If anyone had made up his mind to commit a great sin, and then afterwards, through the grace of God, were to repent and relinquish his criminal design, would that man, I would ask, be still bound to tell his bad intention in confession, even though he never put it into execution? The priest answered the question according to ordinary theological principles, and was much surprised at its apparently motiveless nature. However, a moment after, his visitor, in stupefaction, took him into another room and said, Are you aware, Father, that you have a saint at present in your house? I am the man of whom he spoke just now. At the instigation of Satan, I was going to commit a certain sin, when suddenly remorse seized me, and I checked myself at the very edge of the abyss. I tell you this to my own confusion, and to the glory of your guest. We now come to the beginning of the end. A severe hemorrhage compelled Gerard to stay his course at San Gregorio. He knew that it was the herald of death. Already at the commencement of the year, he had said to Dr. Santarelli, the medical man, who, as we have already seen, was much in his confidence, This year I shall die of consumption. How can you know that? asked the doctor. I have begged the favor of our Lord, replied Gerard, and he has granted it to me. But why do you mention consumption rather than anything else? Because that complaint will leave me most to myself, answered the saint. A short time before, he had told a lay brother that he had asked our Lord 
to allow him to die of consumption, with no one near him at the end. This heroic prayer was now about to be granted. The doctor at San Gregorio did not think much of the attack, and contented himself with bleeding his victim. On August 22nd, St. Gerard seemed well enough to leave for the neighboring hamlet of Piccino. That same evening, a new hemorrhage came on. Two doctors were hastily called in, and once more prescribed the universal panacea of 18th century physicians for all the ills that flesh is heir to. He was bled anew, and ordered to return without delay to Oliveto, where the heir was thought to be better suited to his precarious state of health. At Oliveto, he went to the hospitable house of his friend, the archpriest, Don Salvatore, and thence wrote the following letter to his father rector. I wish to inform your reverence that while kneeling in the church at San Gregorio, I began to spit blood. I told a doctor what had occurred. After examining me, he said several times that this hemorrhage came from the throat, not from the chest, and assured me that there was no cause for anxiety. He then bled me, and I seemed to have quite recovered. However, last night at Pacino, as I was lying down, the same thing happened as at San Gregorio. Two doctors were summoned at once and prescribed a second bleeding. They ordered me to return immediately to Oliveto, partly on account of the climate, and partly that I might consult the celebrated physician, Don Joseph Salvatore. He is not at present at home, but his brother, the archpriest, assures me that he will return this evening. I beg your reverence to tell me what to do. Do you wish me to return to Capasele? If so, I will come back immediately. Should you, however, desire me to continue the quest, I will raise no difficulties. My chest really appears to me to be in a better state than when I left home, and my cough is no worse. Send me a strong obedience, and all will go well. I am very sorry to disturb your reverence, but do not be alarmed. My dear father, it is nothing. Recommend me to God, that he may cause me to do his holy will in all things. End of chapter 17